0: Welcome to the Spun Today Podcast, the podcast that is anchored in writing but unlimited in scope. I'm your host, Tony Ortiz, and I appreciate you listening. This is episode 144, and in this episode, I speak about watching UFC 246, the documentary series Killer Inside The Mind of Aaron Hernandez. And I also speak about Dave Chappelle receiving the Mark Twain Prize. If any iota of that, sounds interesting to you, stick around to get my take on them. And if not, kick rocks. But first, before you do either of those two, take a listen to a way that you can help support the show that you are listening to right now. You know that feeling that you get on a Monday when you're sad because the weekend is over and you have nothing to look forward to except for lunch? Have no fear. The Midday Monday Boost Letter is here. And you might be thinking, what is the Midday Monday Boost Letter? Sounds like a mouthful. And it is. But it's also more than that. I put together this absolutely free newsletter that I email to all my subscribers every Monday at noon to spread a little joy and happiness. If you choose to subscribe, all you have to do is go to spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe and drop in your email address. And what you'll get is five things. You'll get a photo of the week, which who doesn't like looking at dope pictures. You'll also get a podcast of the week. I listen to dozens and dozens of podcasts every single week from a wide variety of shows. And I cherry pick the very best ones and share them with you. as my recommendation for that week. Also in the Midday Monday Boost Letter, you will find a video of the week, which could be anything from a cool online recipe that I found to a rap battle to a TED talk, or a dope interview. I also share a quote of the week, a little food for thought, as well as a word of the week for my fellow wordsmiths out there. Again, this is all absolutely free, and you can get my newsletter by going to spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe, drop in your email address, and you will get the very next one. Alrighty, UFC two forty six, the return of Conor McGregor after a fifteen month hiatus from the octagon. I'll be honest with you, folks. I did not watch the entire card for this event, but from what I hear, I did not miss much. I saw the main event, obviously, and one other fight, which was Roxanne Modafferi versus Macy Barber in the women's flyweight division. And besides that, I'm looking at the card right now. Seems like it was all straight decisions, with the exception of a lightweight bout between Drew Dobber and Nasrat Hakparast, Hakparast, which was a first-round TKO, KO-TKO, in favor of Drew Dobber. But yeah, the fight that I actually did see was uh, Modaferi versus Macy Barber. And I believe, based on the commentary, that Modaferi was the underdog in that fight. Macy Barber is... Was an undefeated up and comer who was eight and zero, and whose goal after entering the UFC was to be the youngest champion in history to beat out John Jones' current record of being the youngest champ in UFC history. That unfortunately was not the case. She went up against Roxanne Modaferi, whose record is twenty four and sixteen. She's a vet in the game. This is the first time that I've actually seen her fight. I forget what her fight name is, but it was something like the librarian or the nerd or the school teacher or something like that. Like something like geeky. Cause she kind of has like this, uh, you know, she wears glasses when she's walking towards, towards the, uh, octagon. I don't know if that's a gimmick or not. She's very like smiley and like nerdy looking, but she fucked up Macy Barber. Now Macy was absolutely compromised in the second round. I want to say towards like the middle end of the second round, Roxanne caught her, with a punch that actually I don't, I don't even remember if she caught her or not. I think she threw a punch. She may have caught her like with a jab or it was like a thrown punch that Macy then uh, avoided. But in her stepping back away from it, you see that she buckles like her left knee buckles and she like falls to the ground and grabs, grabs her knee and continues on, on fighting. But you can tell that the knee is compromised. And to Macy's credit, she is a scrappy vicious warrior like she kept fighting she just got up didn't put weight on that knee when she when you know she could avoid not to and like was throwing like superman punches to like jump off her other knee she went back to her corner between rounds some miracle worker doctor apparently came in to the octagon and like grabbed her her knee like to check her knee which is the first time that's happened i think in ufc history um to like evaluate the knee and you hear the doctor saying, like, one of the mics picked it up. Oh, she has a partial a partial uh, MCL tear. But she's good to fight. <laughs> and I remember R- Rogan and Felder, I think, was the other commentator, was saying. And Annick, of course. But uh, they were saying, what, does this doctor have a fucking MRI machine on his fingers? On the tips of his fingers? To, like, make that very specific determination. She has a partial MCL tear. And while she was uh, going back to her bench even before that after the second round the corner guys that come like uh wipe like wipe your face and wipe the blood out of your face like while you're walking towards your stool macy tells him don't push me because he was like you know white she's walking towards him he's walking towards her and he did, he wasn't like pushing her but you know just the pressure of wiping her face is like pressure in the opposite direction that she's walking and that was obviously even that was like fucking with her knee and she was leaking blood from like the side of her head So Roxanne was definitely uh, putting it on her. Then uh, came to the third round. She finished fighting. Roxanne uh, won the decision. Definite uh, hats off to her. Then after the fact came out the news that Macy had a full MCL tear and a torn ACL. Not MCL, ACL. My bad, I've been saying MCL the whole time. A torn ACL, and she's going to take nine months to recover. So wishing her a speedy recovery and some good vibes headed her way. Now, I'll be honest with you, the rest of the card, that was the final fight on the prelim card. On the main card, there were one, two, three, four, five other fights, including the main event. The only one of those five that I kind of sort of wanted to see was Anthony Pettis' fight, but I honestly wasn't looking forward to the rest. I honestly don't know any of the other fighters besides like uh, Raquel Pennington and uh, Holly Holm, but... I wasn't really excited for that fight either. And from again, what I've heard of, it was a pretty, pretty much a snooze fest. Dana was even pissed about that fight. In the post-fight uh, press conference, was saying that he was about to walk out during that fight, and uh, he was tight about the refereeing, the inconsistency in refereeing, where they would stop a fight prematurely in a uh, previous bout, but in this fight, they let uh, Holly and and Pennington grapple up against the gauge without like breaking them up for like four minutes straight or some shit like that. But yeah, Holly's fights uh don't really excite me. And she's a great martial artist, very respectful on the mic, in every single interview that I've ever seen of hers. I like her, how she seems like as a person and her dedication to, to the game. And I love that um like kickboxing and boxing like background. You know, she was a world champion uh boxer before starting MMA. But I don't know what it is. Like I feel like her matchups, depending on the matchups that that she has, and there's been a few like back to back kind of like neutralize her. But anyway, I digress. The main event of the evening: Conor McGregor versus Donald Cowboy Cerrone. Everybody and their mother was excited about this comeback, and we were very curious as to what was going to go down. What type of Conor were we going to get? Because you have. The last time we saw him in the octagon, he held his own with Khabib for two, two and a half rounds maybe. Then uh, Khabib was just dominating thereafter and ended it in the fourth. And then we had like the whole melee after after the fight with Khabib run, jumping into the crowd and leading up to the fight all the bad blood and kind of throwing the dolly into the, the bus, having legal troubles for that and also for doing dumb shit like he was at he was caught at a bar and he like smacked like this old guy that was talking shit or like punched him in the back of the head then there were reports about him having issues with like the Irish mob that was looking for him and he seemed like unhinged you know he seemed like uh like he was partying too hard drinking too much probably like doing blow like he had that type of like nervous energy about him and you know the the brash shit talking that you know blew him up in the first place that we either love or love to hate he had that but it was like another element to it it was like a spiraling out of control type of element type of vibe leading up to the khabib fight and and thereafter then things came out about you know him not really taking that fight seriously and not training as hard and obviously all the partying and shit like that which you know take with a grain of salt right if you lose especially the fashion that he did you're gonna say you had a bad training camp it's a little more believable since he was like such, so in the public eye that we knew at least all the like partying and not taking shit seriously. That was all there to be seen, but not taking the fight seriously and not training as hard only he and, and coach Kavanaugh and, and their team know that. And in this fight, once he started doing the press run, it was a complete 180. We saw a very focused, very serious, still the Connor arrogance or cockiness that air that he has, that like superstar type of quality, but without the shit talking and very respectful towards Cowboy Cerrone. As spectators, we are in between like, hmm, this is different. This is, is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? Does this mean he's like martial artist focused and on top of his game and doing this thing? Or is that like wild, in your face, brash Connor from before? Like that whole persona necessary for him to do what he does in the octagon and be as great and reach the heights that he did prior to the Khabib loss. And then the fact on the flip side that he's coming back facing somebody like Cowboy. Most wins in UFC history. One of the most active fighters in UFC history. In the last year and a half, Connor fought once. Cowboy fought 11 times. Most fighters, a super active fighter, probably fight three or four times. Super active. Cowboy fought 11 times, has the most head kick knockouts in the game, has the most finishes in UFC history. So definitely no walk in the park. Now, the smart money says in this fight that if it finishes early, it's going to be Connor finishing it early. If the fight goes long, third, fourth, fifth round, it benefits Cowboy because he's a slow starter and does better as the rounds go on. And on the flip side, Connor is known... Or thought, at least, to gas out as the fights go on. At least that's what we've seen with the Diaz fight, uh, Diaz 1. Even in DS 2, uh, before he catch, uh his second second wind, you can see that, you know, third, fourth, you know, those middle rounds, kind of uh, losing steam. We saw with the Khabib fight, Mayweather, which, but that's like a different animal. And what happens? Connor comes out, throws his signature straight left, right away out the gate first punch thrown cowboy ducks it on some fast twitch fiber matrix shit goes to take connor down connor sprawls stops the takedown and they clinch then connor starts kneeling down and ferociously standing up while slamming his left shoulder remember they're clinching right kind of like hugging slams his shoulder into cowboy's face Boom. Once. Does it again. Boom. Into Cowboy's nose. Breaks his nose. Does it again. Boom. Into Cowboy's eye. Splits his eye. Does it again a fourth time. Boom. While they're still clinched. Cowboy's losing it. With fucking shoulder blows. First time I've ever seen that. Then he catches Cowboy with a head kick. Cowboy stumbles off balance. Then Connor starts raining punches. TKOs Cowboy in 40 seconds. Of the first round. And the notorious Conor McGregor. Is officially back. My favorite part. Is that the respect for Cowboy. And it was mutual respect on both sides. Still carried even after that. After the bout. Right there in the octagon. Conor comes back to him. Kneels in front of him. Gives him a hug. Cowboy's like disoriented. Conor's like telling him that it was like. It was shoulder strikes. It wasn't elbow strikes. Because Cowboy thought it was elbow strikes for some reason. You know super respectful. After the uh, post-fight press conferences where Connor was saying that anybody can get it. Uh, Cowboy's grandmother, which raised Cowboy, is in the octagon and she comes over and she hugs hugs Connor and Connor's like talking with her having a moment and they ask Connor like what he told her and stuff like that in the post-fight uh, press conference. he was just saying that you know she she's an icon of the sport herself like she's always at Cowboys fights. she raised Cowboy. And he's like a good man, a family man, and a veteran of the sport, and I just wanted to tell her what a good you know job she's done or something like that. And that was pretty dope. That that was similar to Tyron Woodley's mom, mom, not grandma in this case, mom hugging uh, Usman after their fight when Usman won the title, and telling him to keep his head up and you know keep his head on a swivel and be on point because they're going to be coming for him. And it's dope to see shit like that. Now, money wise. Conor said, supposedly, in an interview with uh, Ariel Hawani, said that he's probably going to make $80 million off this fight, which is not the case. The math just does not add up. When I heard that, though, I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> but as you guys know, or if you don't know, uh, UFC discloses the guaranteed amount, but these uh, main eventers, these headliners, they make pay-per-view points, and that's where they make the bulk of their money. So, for example, guaranteed... Connor was making three million up front and cowboy was making two hundred thousand and another two hundred thousand if he would have won. With pay per view points, they estimate on I think it was like uh below the belt with Brendan Chubb, that with the pay per view points Cowboy would probably yield probably like three or four million, which is dope. And if I had to guess, I would put Connor maybe in the, the low double digits uh millions. But What this win does and sets up for Connor, as he has said from before this bout here, that he wants to make this year the Connor McGregor season. He wants to fight at least four times this year, which is super, again, super active. And being that this fight was in January, finished in 40 seconds, so far, so good. Seems to be lining up. And of the contenders, you have Khabib, obviously, a rematch with Khabib. Or Tony Ferguson, which people kind of, like, sleep on. Like, they want to see that Conor Khabib rematch, but forget that Tony Ferguson and Khabib are fighting in April. A fight that has been five times in the making. The first four times the fight didn't happen. One time, Tony, Tony Ferguson, like, slipped on stage while doing press and wound up tearing his ACL. He was out for several months. Another time, Khabib, like... His kidneys shut down or some shit trying to cut weight another time he was like he missed weight by too much couldn't cut weight because he was eating fucking tiramisu or some shit like that tony ferguson was like making fun of him about and it's been a highly anticipated fight most folks say khabib's biggest competition is tony ferguson so the whole connor khabib thing might not even happen if tony ferguson starches khabib which is a very strong possibility but anyway you got Khabib on the table, Tony Ferguson on the table, depending on how that goes. Kamaru Usman, the 170 champ. George Masvidal, the bad motherfucker belt champ. You have Justin Gaethje in that realm. In interviews, there's been mention of another uh, Mayweather fight. There's been mention of a Pacquiao fight, which if he is going to try the whole boxing thing again, I would rather be it be against Floyd than Pacquiao. Because just, I feel like, too fast and too aggressive. Like his style versus floyd's which is more of a a laid back plus i would like to see how that looks again like giving him a second shot at it but yeah man i'm excited connor's fights garner a lot of attention for the sport and the hype is usually hilarious and very entertaining leading up to the fights so i'm definitely looking forward to it hats off to connor hats off to cowboy and that was ufc 246 Next up is the Aaron Hernandez documentary, which is currently streaming on Netflix. The exact title is Killer Inside, The Mind of Aaron Hernandez. For those of you that don't know, Aaron Hernandez was an NFL football player, a tight end, to be exact, for one of the best football teams in NFL history, a dynasty, if you will, in the New England Patriots, Tom Brady's New England Patriots. Aaron Hernandez was also, for those of you that don't know, tried and sentenced to life in prison for the murder of his brother-in-law, his wife's sister's husband or fiance, because I'm not sure if they actually got to get married. For those of you that don't know, Aaron Hernandez was also the recipient of a five-year deal with the aforementioned NFL dynasty team for $40 million. But wait, there's more. Aaron Hernandez also was alleged to be, but not convicted for, but I would go out on a limb and say that motherfucker did it, alleged to be the gunman in a double homicide in the middle of an intersection provoked by, allegedly, someone in the club that he had just come out of spilling a drink on him. He was also married, had a baby, had some gay lovers, was molested when he was younger. Had an alcoholic abusive father, sprinkle all that on top of a guy that hung around the wrong crowd and also seemed to come off as not being the sharpest tool in the shed. And you wind up with a sociopathic ticking time bomb. And that's what this documentary, I thought, lays out for you very well. So Aaron was a very gifted athlete, seemingly all his life. His father was an athlete. I believe his father played high school football. His older brother was an athlete, played high school and college football. His brother was the quarterback for UConn, I want to say, or Connecticut State or UConn. I'm not sure what the difference is or if there's a difference. And Aaron was a gifted athlete. He played on his high school basketball team, on the football team, played track or ran track rather. He had a strict father that used to, by the accounts in the documentary, drink a lot and just like fist fight aaron's mother in front of them in front of the kids just like punch her and like take her head and slam it on fucking tables and shit like super violent and really strict with the kids he would practice football with them if aaron would drop a ball one time he would make him do like 100 push-ups which not for nothing that's probably why he made some insane catch as well he was in the nfl if you check out his highlight reel but balance dad balance and when Aaron was thought to be going, you know, following in his brother's footsteps, he got, like, a scholarship to Connecticut when he was, like, a freshman in high school or in junior high or so, like some crazy shit like that. And they were like, yo, we'll give you, whenever you finish uh, high school, come here, you have a full scholarship. That's how, like, talented he was. And his brother was there already. But he wound up going to Florida to play for the Florida Gators in an unexpected twist of events that nobody saw coming everybody was surprised by, and he wound up uh, playing with Tim Tebow in college, and supposedly he would get away with murder down there, pun unintended, you know, being talented himself, and chilling with Tebow, who was already getting national attention, like, whenever there was supposedly an issue with Aaron, you know, the team would hush it up, and they would keep shit on the wraps, you know, back home, he had his dad, you know, keeping him in line, and probably, like, an OD way, but you know keeping him in line nonetheless his father actually wound up dying if i'm not mistaken before he went to florida so he didn't really have that like strong figure to keep him in check and like i said before he seemed he i don't say he was a dumb guy but just from like they play conversations of his on the phone when he is like talking to his mom or or friends from the prison or to his wife and he doesn't didn't seem he didn't come off as like a bright dude He came off as like the quintessential dumb jock that thought he was gangster, that thought he was hard. He thought he was hood. He wanted to be that dude. Started getting tattoos all over the place, hung around with shady characters. And they say that talent-wise, he should have been a first-round draft pick, but he dropped to the fourth round because of all this negative mystique around him. And the Pats draft him. You know, they're known as a no-nonsense organization. So you'd think that the structure of that team would be good for him. It would fill the void, perhaps, that his father's passing left behind. But that's not the case. He was in New England. He's from Connecticut. So going back home around those shady characters, around his quote-unquote friends, would just a hop, skip, and jump away. He would take an hour and a half to two-hour drive and continue doing all the fuck shit that he was doing on the weekends. And the first incident, which actually in the documentary doesn't come up until after the known incident that he went to jail for, happens supposedly, allegedly, as a result of him being in a club, somebody spilling a drink on him, him being pissed, the dude he was with, his boy, quote-unquote, you know, taking him outside because he's pissed off. And then Aaron winds up uh, seeing seeing the guys later on in a car, driving by. So they get in this gray SUV, and his boy's driving. Aaron tells him to like pull up next to the guys. He pulls out a gun, gets their attention, shoots him and kills him. And leaves him right there at a red light. And from the scene, the, the case had gotten cold because nobody was around, nobody saw. And all they could pick up from cameras is a gray SUV. That gray SUV disappears. Nobody sees it. Again, until a little bit later. And I'll get back to it. Then Aaron's hanging out with these two other dudes, the shady characters that are like low level criminals, I think they say one of them like used to steal bikes, they like minor drug charges, like shit like that. They go to pick up aaron's brother in law and they're in a the rental car and while the brother in law is hanging out with them, you know he's in the car with them. I think they him and Aaron had like some sort of disagreement or something like that a few days before. I forget exactly what it was, but it seemed like he knew the vibe was off like something something was wrong, so he texts his sister and tells her something to the effect of you know who I'm with NFL I guess that was like a code name for for Aaron and he's like just in case so you know they take him to a remote location Aaron shoots him several times kills him they drive back to Aaron's house all this is caught like on you know different cameras the surveillance camera at at Aaron's house cameras of them like driving on the highway you know the text messages on the phone and shit like that the surveillance after that at aaron's house it's like tampered with and they try to fuck up like the system surveillance system i think they erased or deleted like everything after that but it showed everything up until that point the two dudes he was with return the rental car and the attendant at the rental car agency finds a a gun shell in the car that's how they tied like that car in and they knew the car to so, like look for and follow or track rather um aaron hernandez's cousin buys a ticket to Canada or some shit like that for one of the guys and then drives the other guy to Georgia. And then that cousin of Aaron Hernandez is, you know, after they get a warrant for Aaron's arrest and they arrest him and he's on trial and shit. And they check her house, you know, just for, you know, driving these guys and shit and trying to help them get away. She, which is a woman fighting breast cancer, mind you, like doing chemo the whole nine. She has a silver SUV that matches the description of the one from the double homicide in her garage that had not been used in over a year coincidentally right around the same time of that double homicide and it's in aaron's name sick shit you can't make this shit up and because he had a great attorney because there were no eyewitnesses they couldn't get a conviction without a reasonable doubt for the double homicide however he was convicted to life in prison for his brother-in-law the guy that, by the way, introduced him to his wife and baby mother. Which, by the way, stuck by Aaron in a quintessential, loyal-to-a-fault scenario. Like, her husband just killed her sister's husband. Or her sister's boyfriend. And she still stuck with the husband. So that, like, broke that family apart, obviously. Then Aaron, after being found not guilty for that double homicide, which he was being tried for, at you know, after already being in jail was the first time that you kind of see well definitely the first time you see him cry or anything like that. Like the first time he was sentenced, he was just like stone cold. Looked like he had like shark eyes, like a fucking sociopath. Like like nothing happened. And they they actually said something about him that was very telling in my opinion, which was that he transitioned from his seventy one hundred square foot mansion to an eight by six cell seamlessly. And you even hear him on the phone talking to his mom in one conversation and he's like oh you know sometimes i i walk over to the door and i look back in my cell and i see how neat it is and how nice it looks it was just like what dude Like, what the fuck He was not right man his brother um said after after the fact that he knew of aaron getting molested when he was younger his mom wound up after his father died wound up getting with and marrying his cousin's husband it was just like dysfunction all around And he, like, really resented his mom for that. Then there were all these, like, allegations of him being in the closet and, you know, being a bisexual and that the, you know, gangster bravado and and persona was a way to kind of, like, shield that or, like, cover that, like, that, like, the gangsterness was his beard. And there was this one dude from his uh, high school quarterback that supposedly that they interviewed a lot that seemed... But something was off with him. Like, he seemed, like, very... Eager to be on camera, you know what I mean. Like he was like enjoying his 15 minutes of fame, like a little too much. So something was off there. And I heard on the podcast that supposedly it was true. Like the rumors of of Aaron being bisexual. The guy, some guy that he was supposedly really with, came out and said that that high school quarterback guy was full of shit. Like he was never with Aaron, but who knows? I don't know. But that seemed to definitely be like an element within all this. Maybe he was afraid somebody was going to out him. I remember the, like that being a narrative when the whole thing happened of why he eventually hung himself, because that's what he did after he was found not guilty. He showed emotion for the first time, looked back at his daughter and his wife, cried You know, a day or two later, hung himself in his cell. And they were saying that you know, the reason why he, why he cried and showed that emotion is because he knew he was going to kill himself. Now, the one quote-unquote, smart thing he did or calculated thing maybe would be a a better choice of words is that in the letter he left uh, letters like first order for for his wife his lawyer i believe and he tells his wife in the letter that you know not to be sad or whatever and that she's rich now when he went to jail that 40 million for five years i guess was forfeited but he heard from another inmate or looked up that if he died that he, his sentence gets commuted or some shit like that, or retracted or something, and that he would be due that money, supposedly, which would obviously go to his wife and and kid. The sentence was commuted after he committed suicide, and they really didn't get into, in the documentary, if the wife wound up getting the money from the Patriots or not. What they said in the documentary is that the Patriots would probably rather spend, like, double the amount in legal fees to not have to pay that money or some shit like that but yeah man it's a sad story all around i could imagine that little girl growing up his daughter coming from that it's it's sad and just the the wasted talent on aaron's side but yeah, it was definitely a very well put together documentary and i recommend you guys check it out it's called killer inside the mind of aaron hernandez and is streaming on netflix And last but not leastly, folks, Dave Chappelle, one of my favorite comics, definitely one of the best to ever do it, is the proud recipient of the 2019 Mark Twain Prize for American Humor. And for those of you that don't know what this is, is an American award presented by the John F. Kennedy Center for Performing Arts annually since 1998, and it's named after the 19th century humorist Mark Twain. And is presented to individuals who have had an impact on American society in similar ways to Twain. So it's definitely high praise. Past recipients are folks like Richard Pryor, George Carlin, Eddie Murphy, Ellen, Steve Martin, Whoopi Goldberg, Lauren Michaels, Billy Crystal, David Letterman, and on and on and on. That's a lot of heavy hitters right there, folks. And though I actually I actually mentioned this during episode. The last episode, episode 143, when I said that I would probably record half the episode, then pause it, then go watch that, then go back to recording, which is actually what I wound up doing. And I knew it was on because I saw a post by Neil Brennan on Instagram of his speech during the event, you know, promoting the show, saying that it was going to be on PBS that same evening. And I wasn't completely sure what the Mark Twain prize was. I think I I saw, like, clips of Eddie Murphy's when he won it. Uh, But I, I really liked Neil Brennan, which is a comic himself i reviewed uh three mics his special on netflix here on the podcast as one of like my favorite single things that i watched for that given year i think came out 2017 2018 2018 probably it was like my favorite thing that i saw in the whole year my you know out of all the movies tv shows comedy specials neil brennan's three mics was the shit so you guys should definitely check that out and he's also the co-creator of The Chappelle Show, which is obviously an iconic show that only had three seasons, two seasons, three seasons, before Dave Chappelle's artistic integrity was tested, and he was like, you know what, fuck you, and bounced and disappeared to Africa, and people thought he was nuts because he gave up $50 million. and he wound up coming back, and Netflix gave him like $60 million <laughs> to do a couple of comedy specials. Anyway, so I saw that post, and I was like, oh shit, I gotta watch this. And it it's a dope event. It's like star studded. It's a lot of comics. So you get a lot of funny, you know, it's a lot of good comics too. Like you had Sarah Silverman, Tiffany Haddish, Jon Stewart, Aziz Ansari, Michael Che, and you have other folks like Bradley Cooper, Erica Badu, Common, John Legend, Mo Steff, Morgan Freeman, Sarah Silverman. Did I say Sarah, Sarah Silverman already? And everybody gives like speeches and pay like high praise to dave chappelle who's there you know sitting with his family and it's really dope it's touching they tell like personal stories uh a dope line from sarah silverman was like she said something that the crowd like oohed at and she was like she said something to the effect of don't feel weird just because you haven't checked twitter yet to find out how you feel about this (laughs) which i thought was was a dope line and um dave's mom was there and they also show like backstage, like green room shit with all of them hanging out and them at a local club in D.C., which is where the John F. Kennedy Center is for performing arts. And it shows clips of Dave Chappelle and other comics, you know, doing doing jokes and sets. It's a really dope event. You guys should check it out if you haven't. It aired on PBS. I've seen a bunch of clips on YouTube. I'll link to some actually in the episode notes. You guys can check it out which you can do so by just checking out the episode notes wherever you're listening to this right now, whether it's on Spotify or Stitcher or the Apple podcast app, YouTube, wherever you listen, just check the episode notes or go to spun forward slash podcast forward slash one four four. And you'll see all the links and episode notes there. And I want to wrap it up with this. Dave tells this cool story about an exchange between him and his mother where. Growing up, he was a very introverted, quiet child. And he was talking about incidents either in school with getting picked on or maybe when he was just starting comedy, where he kind of felt out of place in the clubs and all these older people around and kind of felt like pushed around. It was one of those two scenarios, or maybe both, because he did start comedy fairly young in his teens. I think he lied about his age and like first went on stage when he was like 16, 17, 18 or something like that. But anyway, I'll leave you guys with this. His mother tells him a line which resonated with me and was sometimes you have to be the lion in order to be the lamb that you really are. Let that marinate for a bit, folks. Congratulations to Dave Chappelle on receiving the Mark Twain Prize. And congratulations to you, fine folks, for finishing episode 144 of the Spun Today podcast. Stick around, listen to some tunes. Then to a bunch of ways you can help support the show if you so choose. Peace (laughs) en la titude perfecta tu éste sol y la lluvia refresca. Desde el alba hasta la puesta es un ambiente ideal para sudar todo mal. Y nací en tierra agradecida donde crece casi todo lo que le tiras. Y puedo decir que en la isla hasta el que no tiene nada se puede animar. Hey folks, Tony here, and I hope you're enjoying the show as much as I enjoy putting it together for you. If you'd like to support, I'd really appreciate it, and we'll give you a one-stop shop of sorts on how to do so. If you can make your way over to spuntoday.com forward slash support, you'll find a bunch of different ways where you can do just that. There you'll find an Amazon banner similar to... The other banners found throughout my website that you can click on and will take you to Amazon, where you can do your shopping like you normally do. This will not cost you anything extra, and Amazon will pay me a percentage just for driving traffic to their website. It's a great way to help support the show financially without actually having to come out of pocket. At spuntoday.com forward slash support, you'll also find links to my Patreon and Ko-fi pages. Patreon and Ko-fi are two similar websites where you can set up reoccurring donations for the show. If you want to donate a dollar per month, a dollar per episode, a hundred dollars per episode, whatever you like, you can check out either one of those two services there. There's actually also a Patreon video that's kind of like a little tutorial explanation video of how Patreon actually works. Also at spuntoday.com forward slash support, you'll find a direct donation button where you, you can donate by way of PayPal. You'll find a link to Apple Music, which works similar to the Amazon banner. You can click on it. It'll take you to Apple's website where you can do your purchasing like you normally do. And again, it does not cost you anything extra, but I will get paid a percentage just for driving traffic to their website. And you'll also find links to the Spun Today Viral Style Store. This is where you can get Spun Today related merch. And you'll find things like these cool premium t-shirts that have uh, writing related things on them that I put together myself. I'm definitely not a clothing designer by any stretch of the imagination, but I put together things that I wanted to see and and, uh, wear myself. A couple of my favorites are the one that says writing is life and another one that says write Need every day and it has like a puff of smoke looking design right behind uh, those words. You'll also find a sponsored a coffee mug and a really cool color changing mug that's related to my debut novel Fractal. It's completely black and when... It gets hot when you put in coffee or tea, it starts changing to white, and it also exposes the cover art for my novel Fractal. It's pretty dope. So, definitely check all that stuff out, which again, you can find by going to sponsoreday.com forward slash support. And of course, do not forget to follow me on all of your social media at sponsoreday on Twitter, at sponsoreday on Instagram. Subscribe to the Sponsoreday YouTube channel where you can find clips and excerpts from the podcast along with other cool content like the Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash spun today. Also, don't forget to check out all the free shit that I have on my website as well. Go to spun today.com forward slash free writing, and there you're going to find dozens and dozens and dozens of free writing pieces that you can check out for motivation and inspiration and Just some general food for thought. You can check out some of my photography at spuntoday.com forward slash photography. Feel free to take any of those pictures and use them as you wish. I set it up so that you can like copy and download the photos. And my short stories are available at spuntoday.com forward slash short stories. And last but certainly not least, my pride and joy corner. Spuntray.com forward slash books. Here you will find my published books, which you fine folks can find links to purchase them on Amazon, whether you want hard copies or digital uh, Kindle copies. That's the spot for you. Thank you very much for being a Spuntoday listener. And as always, substitute the mysticism with hard work and start taking steps in the general direction of your dreams.